0: Um, go ahead and turn with me over to Luke chapter 5 verse 27 through 32. Luke chapter 5 verse 27 through 32. As we continue looking at this idea of of being marked, of being called by the Savior. What it means to follow Jesus. What it means to be is to disciple. What that looks like. Who who's that con- considering? Who's in that number? Who who are these? Who who are, are we as disciples? What does it look like? How does it operate? All these things to be marked, to be called by the Savior. Last week we talked a little bit about what it meant to follow Jesus. What it meant to be a disciple. What it meant to be an, an apprentice. To learn from Jesus. We talked about you need to be present with Jesus. You need to be around Jesus. You need to spend time with Jesus. We specifically drew out how we can do that through prayer. We talked about how we want to be like Christ. Be like Jesus. Have the mentality. Think the same way. Look at people the same way as Jesus looked at them. We need to do the things that Jesus did in his life, how he treated people, how he did things, he worked miracles, he did awesome and amazing things for the glory of God and how we oftentimes limit what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be adopted and grafted in and and have that inheritance to be a Christian, that there is emphasis, there is ability to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we should, that if we are followers of Christ, we should be doing those things. And today we're going to focus a little bit more on who it is that fits within that calling to be a disciple? Okay, so Luke chapter five verse twenty-seven through thirty-two reads like this: it says after these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. So we understand from looking at the other Gospels all lined together, Levi is also a name that Matthew went by. That later on as he works more in the with the disciples, Matthew he's considered Matthew more. So Matthew and Levi. The the Gospels differentiate. One calls him Levi, another one calls him Matthew, but we know it's the same person. So a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, "Who do you eat and drink? Or why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" Jesus answered and said to them, "Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Luke chapter five. Verse 27 through 32. If you helped with VBS this year, uh, this was one of the lessons we talked about, right? Uh, we talked about, about Matthew, about this tax collector, okay? Um, but I want us to ask this question. To start out with this question of who does Jesus call? Okay? This may seem like a very simple question. But its relevance cannot be understated, right? It's very easy for us to a- have this question. mean to ask you this question. And everyone say... That everyone, that Jesus calls everyone, it's what we're taught growing up. It's what the Bible tells us. Many songs from Sunday school on emphasizes and expresses this idea and understanding that all are called. Think, think of you know um, the Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow back of pot. He loves all the children of the world. He has the whole world in his hand. All of these little songs that even from from childhood states this one core truth that Jesus loves everybody that Jesus calls everybody, that Jesus will save everyone. And we may understand that, but I don't know if we understand how groundbreaking that idea and thought and belief was in the first century. And even how it's still not all that common as we may think it is today either. You know, we understand if you look at history that that for the most part, most cultures and societies up to this point had pantheons of gods, and and these pantheons of gods only cared about their worshippers, those that loved them, those that, you know, kind of offered sacrifices to those specific gods. You know, whether if you go Greek or Roman or or all over, there's many different pantheons of gods through history that that different cultures and societies worshipped. And for the most part, these societies... Stayed within them themselves, and really anybody outside of those societies just didn't jive with them. If you didn't worship their gods, if you didn't worship, you know, whoever it was—the Norse pantheon and, and Odin or, or Zeus or, or, or all these other ones that are raw, different ones throughout society. If you didn't worship them, you weren't part of that group, and oftentimes it it led to conflict. It, it led it led to hatred. It led to anger. It led to frustration between these different groups because the gods only cared about. They're people. The Egyptian pantheon only cared about Egyptians. The Norse pantheon only cared about the the people of Norse heritage, so on and so forth. And, you know, we can look at the history of the Jewish culture and everything, and and this time in, in history specifically when Jesus is walking on the earth. And we may look at some of the scriptures that are written, especially if we look at, you know, when Jesus was crucified. And we may look at the relationship between the Romans who oversaw everything at that point and the Jewish leaders and think, well, they must have been in pretty good, pretty good relations with each other. Look how they worked together to, to, end, to see Jesus crucified, right? They probably were, were worked pretty well together because look at what, how, they, how easily this happened. They began to work together. The Jewish people pushed for a little bit. The Roman people caved a little bit. They worked together and eventually they were able to see Jesus crucified, you know? And it can be, we can easily confuse that as being a good relationship. But what we see in that situation specifically is more of the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of deal. Right? Rome and the Jews, the Jewish leaders specifically, had concerns and problems with Jesus. The Jews thought he was going to overturn the temple worship and everything. Rome was afraid that he was going to bring up this uprising and go against Caesar and all these things. So they both had some issues with this man named Jesus, so they decided to put aside their differences for the sake of getting rid of this nuisance that they had. Right? About any other situation and circumstance within this point of history, the, the situation and the relationship between Rome and the Jewish leaders specifically was awful. There was frustration, there was anger, there was aggravation on each other, they didn't like each other, they, there was animosity, and there was this really strained peace that was kept for the sake of lives, basically. That's, that's what was going on for the most part of history at this time. But see, the Jews really hated the Romans because the Romans were ruling over their land. The Roman Empire, if you didn't understand this, was one of the most far-reaching empires. It stretched into the Middle East, into where Jerusalem is, Israel is, in the Pakistan, all these other... I mean, it was far-reaching, okay? And what they did is they ruled over these provinces, or little places, these partial kingdoms, and they took taxes, they ruled over it, they, they made decisions, they had armies based and soldiers based in those areas. And the people were not the rulers, and the Jews hated this. They, they hated, like any other society would, they hated that the Romans were overseeing them, they were ruling over them, and that the Jews couldn't be a self-governing body. They couldn't be a self-governing state. They were ruled over. Like they'd been so many other times, whether the Babylonians or the Syrians or different ones, Persians that we see in history. So the Jews did not like, like the Romans. And ultimately the Romans just looked at the Jews as you know, just another part of their people that's being you know, encapsulated in the Roman Empire now. They get their taxes from and everything like As long as they're being good, they're fine with them. So that's that relationship that was there. And that hate and that, that aggravation and that frustration and that, that, that this taste for the Romans that the Jew, many of the Jews had at that point was extended to any Jew that kind of, to say, flipped on the Jews and begin to work for the Romans. For a Jew to, to go and and begin to work for the Romans in some capacity of their own will, and then to profit off of it, was almost seen as a traitor's act. You've went, you went against your own people to work for the oppressors, to work for these people that that have captured your people, that have been, that have put them under some kind of bondage and taxes, that do all these things to us. They, they, they take our children in for army sometimes. They do all these things, and you're going to flip on us, and you're going to you're going to work for them. These people were not thought very highly of. They were not liked in the Jewish circles. And here's where we find Matthew, also known as, as Levi, right? He was a tax collector. Understand this. He wasn't collecting taxes for the Jewish people, for the temple, for the leadership of the Jewish society and culture. He was collecting taxes for the Romans, the enemy. Who the Jews didn't like. We find he's taxing them. He goes. And many times we talked with the kids in VBS. You know, that, that taxation. You know, if you couldn't pay it, maybe they'll take your family. Maybe they'll take your animals. Maybe they'll take your home. Maybe they'll take you and put you in, in some kind of work camp to pay off your, your taxes. You'll become enslaved. They might sell you in All kinds of crazy, awful stuff. And the tax collectors were the ones that were the, the arms that rented out from Rome. They were the ones that were doing this overseeing this, making sure everybody was up to date and paid with their, their taxes. So these tax collectors were not thought of very highly, were not liked, were not trusted in Jewish circles. And I think it would be a pretty safe statement to say that, that Matthew wasn't liked in his, in his community. He was probably looked at with disgust and anger for the most part then honestly, probably not one of the first picks, first people you would choose, if you were trying to start a movement that was based on trust and goodwill, probably wouldn't have went to Matthew and say, Matthew, you have a good report in the community. The Jews love you. They think you're a good guy. I want you to join up with my cause so that they'll see that you believe in this. Then they'll follow you, Matthew. And then Matthew, as you're following me, then they'll be following me as well. So Matthew, I think you're a good choice. No! We wouldn't choose Matthew to run for for some kind of political office around here. None of us would vote for him, right? We wouldn't choose Matthew to to raise our kids if we were looking for a babysitter. We wouldn't choose Matthew to watch after our home while we were away. Matthew was the the scum of the earth to many people for the choices that he made to, to work with the Romans, to collect these taxes, and ultimately to affect and hurt many of his Jewish family members. No doubt, some from his very own tribe. So calling Matthew very well may have caused some tension between Jesus's new ministry, what he was trying to do, and the Jewish community, at least at the first. But yet here we are. Jesus calls Matthew. He calls him. He says, "Follow me." The same thing that we talked about last week that he told. Peter, James, John, Sons of Zebedee, and all this. Same thing they told them. Just blue collar, hard working fellows, fishermen, probably had a good, you know, good name in the community, you know, came to the potlucks, brought the good stuff, they were good friends, played cornhole with their buddies and everything. The same the same thing that he told them. He comes to this scum of the earth tax collector named Matthew, also known as Levi, and says, "Follow" Follow me. Now, we might not know anybody that's exactly like Matthew. I don't know if any of you know anybody that works for the IRS. I don't know. I probably wouldn't say if I did, honestly, you know, because then you'd want to know who he was. You'd probably go to his house and ask him questions about what went on there, you know. I don't know if you know anybody in the IRS or know anybody that collects taxes, tax, you know, assessor, anything like that. We all probably know or know of somebody that might not fit that to a T, but that has some similarities with Matthew. Maybe not trusted in the community. Maybe not trusted in society in general. Maybe not liked very much. Maybe even some people that we might consider traitorous or something that's turned against their own people. You know, I don't know. Different ones that, that maybe throughout history you look at. You know, uh, different generals or different ones in the army. We think in the you know, Revolutionary War. Different ones that flip sides. Civil War flip sides. Different ones. And, we, and, we, and we may, there may have been some kind of harsh feelings towards those people. Maybe there's some right now that you can think of. Work or school or you know, maybe family, I don't know. Hopefully not church, but maybe church that that you think of with these things, right? I want you to to think about that person. And then think about the question that we asked. Who does Jesus call? Who does Jesus call? Think about that person that I that whoever it is that fits that description for you that that kind of has those similarities those parallels that that is that kind of personality that has that kind of name that, that Matthew had in his community to the other Jewish people think of that person and ask do you believe that Jesus can or is calling them? Do you believe that Jesus loves them do you believe that Jesus will save them? Do, do you believe that Jesus calls everyone? See, I think sometimes we're missing the big point, right? Sometimes those are the questions that we should ask, but sometimes we're asking the wrong questions, okay? I read a little snippet while studying for this. I thought it was hilarious, okay? You might not think it's as funny as I am because i got a weird sense of humor sometimes, and sometimes I just don't jive with people, but hopefully, hopefully somebody will laugh, okay? Okay? little snippet, it goes, um, one time there was a janitor at a church uh, at a church camp, Bible camp, whatever you want to call it, and uh, he was heard one day muttering to himself, uh, if it wasn't for all these kids, I could probably get more done around here. You know, I don't know if that went over some of y'all's heads, but what I'm saying is, he works at a church camp. He was supposed to work with children. And he's saying if I didn't have the children, I'd get more done. But if he didn't have the children... He wouldn't have a job, right? So that's the funny part. You can laugh now. Oh, that was great. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm killing it today. Uh, But I thought that was hilarious, right? And it might seem funny. Maybe not. I don't know. But that mindset has has crept into our, our churches today as well. If there weren't so many sinners, it would be easier to be a Christian in today's society. If there wasn't so much sin around us, I could do more as a Christian. We may think those things. But understand this, that, that's not how it really works, right? That's that's not how it, how it goes as being a Christian. We're really missing the point if that's what we're thinking. If we look at today's society and like, man, it would be easier to be a Christian if all this thing wasn't there. Then we're missing a little bit of the point of why we're supposed to be, be Christians of why we're supposed to be followers of Christ. We are called to minister to the sinner, to love those that are chained by sin. If we eliminated all the sin and all the sinners, guess what? It's heaven then. Then you're not a Christian, then you're you're in the presence of the Lord, and you have a body like unto Christ, and, but then all those people don't get to go to heaven. That's the reality. That's the reality. Right? If there weren't no more sinners, if there weren't no more sin, if that was just eliminated from the face of the earth, things look a whole lot different. And the sad reality is is that those people go to hell. Forever and ever. Never. Our ability to be a Christian isn't dependent upon the elimination of sin in the world or how well we avoid sinners. That doesn't make you a good Christian. I would make the argument that to be an effective Christian, living the life God has called us to live, requires us to come in contact with sin and those that partake in it. Because how can I minister to those that need it if I completely avoid it or put myself in a society or a circumstance where it's completely eliminated? I can't show the love of Jesus if somebody already knows love of Jesus, and ain't gonna mean something new to them. It's like, yeah, I know that, I got that. You know, we want to show it to those that need it. And this mentality of completely eliminate sin, completely, you know, avoid the sinners, that goes in direct conflict into what God has called us to do, in being the hands and feet and the ministers of Jesus Christ. You see, the scribes and the pharisees there are in the same place, right? They asked why Jesus was eating with these people. His reply is something we should consider when thinking about our purpose as Christians. Once again, Luke 531 32. They said, why are you eating with them? Why are you sharing a table with them? Why are you breaking bread with them? Why are you spending more time than you have to with them? Why are you going out of your way to come to their house and talk to them and get to know them and be around them? Why are you doing this? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician." But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Layman's terms. You're missing the point, guys. You're missing the point. You ask this question of why I'm here... Eating with these people, with the tax collectors, with these ones that you don't like, with these ones that you don't want coming to to your dinners, and these ones that you don't want to share a bench with at church, these ones that you don't want around you, these ones that you want to avoid, these ones that you would like just to see gone off the face of the earth. You're missing the point, buddy. The question shouldn't be, why am I eating with them? The question should be, why aren't you eating with them? Why aren't you Eating with them. He says, You're missing the point. He says, if I if I just wanted to come and hang out with a bunch of righteous and religious folks that know all the laws and everything, I'd have been around you. And let me be honest, buddy, I just don't like spending time with you that much. Because you think you've got it all figured out. I'm God. And I know you don't have it all figured out. He says, You're missing the point. I'm here. And you're here. They were religious leaders of that time, supposed to be the introduction, the hands and feet of God through the Mosaic Law, to serve the community, to be there for them. He says, You're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be here for the sick, and for the hurting, and for the broken. And he says, Basically, that's them. Those ones in that room around that table, the tax collectors, and the sinners, and the others that the Bible mentions. He says, that's them. That's why I came. That's why I came to this place. And that's what he wants us to understand as well. But the sad reality is that sometimes within churches, we have this viewpoint of selective service, selective saving, selective harvest. We are selective. Selective. When Harper got a little older, um, and she could, you know, control a little bit what she was doing, just what she was squirming around and everything, um, we began to try to teach her some signs from American Sign Okay, um, one that she has taken up very well is "more." Okay, I want to teach y'all something if you do not know it, and you can use it for the rest of your life. Okay. I am no way, fashion, or form an expert in American Sign Language, but I know this one, my child knows this one, and I probably will never forget it. More American Sign Language is this. Let's all do it. Can everybody do this? More. Yes. Okay. So next time you have something to drink and your wife or your husband gets up and they're in the kitchen, you can say, more. Okay. And now we'll all understand that. Okay. Um. She does more, okay? I mean, we taught her that if she wants, you know, another snack, more to eat, more. If she needs more drink, more. If she wants another more crowns, if she wants more coloring sheets, if she wants more toys, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it's more, okay? But, but there's times now um, where she will use it when she already has an abundance of something. OK, um, most often so we're sitting down to dinner and uh, whatever we're having, whether it be spaghetti or hamburger steak, whatever, we'll have her little plate and her hot chip. We'll cut it up maybe a little bit, give her a little fork and spoon because she's independent and she don't want us to feed her anymore. She wants to do it herself and throw it all over the floor and all that stuff. And we'll do that for her. Um, She'll take a few good bites, get some, you know, gravy and mashed potatoes, you know, the unhealthy stuff mostly. Um, She'll get a few bites of it, and the plate will still be full mostly. And she begins to say more. And me as her her daddy, with, you know, complete calm and understanding every single time, I just say, child, you see there's more on your plate. There is still food there. Have you been stricken with blindness, and now you... Need a healing and touch from God. There's, there's food on this table, and she continues, more, more. I'm like, what do you want? There is more. And I, we've we've realized. It didn't take us long to realize that she was not saying, "I want more food." She's saying, "I want more choices. I want more options. I want more food that is not this food." Okay. I don't know if you can relate with that at all. It is something I become very familiar with. And learning a lot from. Um, But we take that into our churches as well. Maybe we live in a community or a nation. People come in. Who knows where, right? Born into it, moved into it, whatever. People from bad places, good situations, whatever it may be. People that might be hurting might be broken, might be different, might be going through things, facing challenges. But ultimately, no matter where they come from, like us or different, good or bad, need of a Savior headed to hell. That's the reality. For every man, woman, boy, and, and girl that's ever been born on this earth, it is a reality. Wherever you've lived, wherever you've come from, whatever you've done, that is the reality. And they move into our community or our county, whatever it is, next door, down the street, begin to work with them, come, their kids come to our school. And, you know, maybe we go and and we see them. But it's maybe it's people that we don't want to talk to. Maybe it's not people that we want to acknowledge. Maybe it's not people that we want living in our communities. Maybe it's people that we're scared of, concerned about, worried about, don't understand, question, all all kinds of things. And we have those people, and we have those sometimes, you know, reservations. And then we come to church, and, and what do we pray, though? We say, Lord, let me see souls be saved. We say, Lord, I want to see the church grow. We say, Lord, I I want you to, I want us to be able to help reach the the lost and the dying world. And maybe Jesus would say something like this what he said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 to his disciples. This is what he said. So then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. My fear... Is that when we think about who we, who we really think Jesus will call, who we really think Jesus will save, who we really think is worth going out in the field for, we treat it a little bit like online shopping. Some of you older ones might not know what that is. But you can go online and you can shop and they deliver it to your house. right? I know in Elk Valley everybody loses their packages. I see that on the community board. Everybody helps each other watch out for the packages, and, and you have your own mail service. You know, you take it to who and whose house, and they bring you theirs so when it gets mixed up. But you can shop online, and there's this thing called filters, right? Where you can collect the filter, you can search for something. Okay, we was, when when Harper's went up, we, you know, we begin searching for um, car seats, we begin searching for for certain clothes, different things like that. You know, maybe you're shopping online, you're searching for some clothes, and you can hit the filter. You know, looking for men's top, all this humongous number, some slim cut, some you know, some big and tall, some checks, some solid color, some button button ups, some polos, some t-shirts, all kinds of stuff, right? And you can go hit filters, and then from that filters you begin to select certain options that more adequately meets what you were looking for. You can choose brand, you can choose size, you can choose price, you can choose, you know, shipping ways, you can choose all kinds of things, right? Stuff, you know, button-ups, you know, polo, whatever you want to do. And you begin to filter that. And it gives you a narrowed-down list that more accurately meets what you're looking for. Okay? And I, I fear, though, that sometimes, knowingly or unknowingly, we look at salvation or we look at who's worth going out to the field for, who we're comfortable going out in the field for. And we view it a little bit like that, where we say, I want to see people saved, and then we hit the filter button. And we begin to check certain boxes of who we really want to see saved. Not that we don't want everybody to be saved, but there's certain people that we want to see saved more. Certain kinds of people that seem to be a higher priority, maybe, to us. And I get family and stuff, and I'm talking about on a greater, on a little bit larger picture, right? And maybe we select, you know, country of origin. <clears throat> maybe we select the religion that they were raised in. Maybe we select... Career field, maybe we select party affiliation, maybe we select citizen status, maybe we select um, criminal background, maybe we select you know all kinds of different things. What the clothes they wear, the car they drive, you know, poverty, in- impoverished to rich. We we begin to select certain filters that we feel like you know maybe might be the most important for whatever reason, and we hit all our filters. And the reality is is that sometimes once we're done hitting all of our filters. The ones that are left look an awful lot like us, and anybody that's different from us, well, they've been filtered out. And we're like, well, I'll go into the field and harvest the ones that made it through all my all my filters. But we've been growing a, a garden this year, um, down to the roots, right? And we uh, got some squash, got some corn, we got some beans. Um, I planted kale without realizing it's a fall crop, so it's not done nothing. Um, different stuff, right? And if before I went outside, I told Tara, Tara, I'm only going to pick the corn that has 98 kernels. <laughs> 98 kernels. So we got peaches and cream. So you, you know you got the little peachy colored ones and you got the more yellow ones, you know, and, and and I say it has to be split evenly. Half of them have to be the peachy color and half of them have to be the yellow one because I want it really good and sweet, but I want it savory too. I want the good combination. And I say they have to be so, so many inches long, so many strands of the silk. If it's if it's too silky, I'm not gonna pick it. If it's not silky enough, I'm not gonna pick it. And I begin to set these filters out. Guess what? I might pick one ear of corn and leave a field full of it. Because I was too constrained with my filters. And I eliminated so many options. Good options. Perfectly good options. Ready there to be picked. Because of my selective harvest. And I just left them there and they just rotted on the vine. Because nobody picked them. The reality is, is that when we become too selective and filter out too many options that are out there in the world that need Jesus... A lot of people get left by the wayside because they've been filtered out by too many Christians, too many churches, whatever. And nobody went out in the field to harvest them. They went through and they found the ones that they liked and they picked those and they took care of those. But then there's others that might have been a little bit too lumpy. We do squash. And some of that squash is ugly as all get out, right? Warty, naughty, still eats good. pick still picking. It's still ready to be harvested. And we need to be mindful to not eliminate anybody through our own selves from the gift of salvation that God gives. Because God has not eliminated anybody from the gift of salvation that He gives. We can't be too selective or we can't be too... Too easy to filter certain people out because these large swaths of people need Jesus and need salvation. And we sit in our churches and we're like, I want to see people saved. And if, hot take here, if we're honest, I want to see the people I want to see get saved. That's what we really mean. Yeah, we might get excited if some stranger comes off the street that's totally different than us that looks different, that acts different, that talks different, we might get a little excited. But when somebody, you know, that's like us, we get a little bit more excited about those things. And we need not to eliminate or filter out anybody because all, all need Jesus. I asked you, I said, who, at the beginning, who does Jesus call? And I was working on it this morning. I didn't do it because I was like, I don't want to leave certain groups out, and you know, I don't, I don't want to be portrayed in, in a negative way. But I began to looking at pictures, and I was going to do a whole PowerPoint. We were going to do a whole lesson, right? I was going to do bring the teacher out, and I was going to go through each picture, and I was going to pick out people from different cultures, different religions, different societies, different belief systems, all kinds of things. And I was just, we're just going to go through them, and I was going to be the teacher. And each one, we're going to be like, I'm going to, I was going to ask you. Do, does Jesus call them? And you were going to be required to say yes. And I go to the next one. Does Jesus call them? You require We'll just make it simple. Any picture you come across on Facebook, or if you do Instagram or TikTok, whatever else Any profile, any person, any family group. No matter what they look like. No matter whatever screen goes across, whatever face goes across your TV screen, whatever name you hear <coughs> on the radio, you can be confident. No. That Jesus will call them. That Jesus loves them. That Jesus would save them. And they may be the very ones that are out in the field, ready to be harvested. But because maybe the name is Confusion and we don't know how to pronounce it, or they look a little different, or they act a little different, or they're not from this area, whatever it may be, we don't go to pick that fruit. We don't go to pick that harvest. And we leave it there. And we say, well, somebody else will pick it. Surely somebody else will pick it. Somebody else will come by that. I'll I'll go... Somebody... But what if nobody else does? What if nobody else does? What if everybody filters that person out? What if everybody excludes that person? That family? That neighbor? That group? We need to, to be mindful of these things. The seriousness of... Eternity sometimes gets glossed over, but it is serious. It's very serious, and we'll all spend eternity somewhere. That's reality, and that's the truth. And the harvest is coming, with the laborers who are willing to go wherever, pick any fruit, no matter what it looks like, no matter what what planet comes off of, pick any fruit there. They're few. They're few. And my desire for our church is that it's full of laborers that'll pick any fruit. That'll go to any plant. That'll take care of whatever it is. Whatever portion of the little garden that the the Master sends you into, that you go. And you harvest that. And you pull back the fruit from it. And as I started, and I didn't intend to start there, but it just, it just hit me this morning. As, as, I, as I started with this idea of, you know, while we're capable and while we're able and while we have the ability to or the time to or the means to, let us serve the Lord. Let us bring in the harvest. Let us go out and, and just see who comes in. Man, it'd be great if every Sunday morning it was just a surprise, and we all came in and we said, "Let's see who Jesus brings in today," right? But let's be honest. I'm gonna be honest with you. I come in every Sunday morning, and I can about tell you to a 99 percentile accuracy who's gonna be here this morning. Stuff maybe I've heard throughout the week, or talked to, or different things, or or you know stuff that has happened, things I've been posted on Facebook. I am rarely. Surprised by who I see on Sunday morning. For good or bad, I don't know. I kinda lean that's a little bad, but for good or bad, maybe it is. I'm not saying I don't like seeing y'all. Y'all are beautiful and gorgeous. I love you. And we're the we're we're the body of Christ. But I can't help but think that the early church, each and every day they met, they were surprised by who showed up and who came out and who Jesus was calling that week, and I'd love for us to get to that point where we're just surprised by who walks through that door. Maybe it's somebody you've been praying for for years, you've been crying out to God for for years, and they will never even darken the doors, and one day they do. Maybe it's somebody that you've never even thought of, maybe should've, but you never even thought of, and and they come through. Maybe it's somebody that looks so strange and odd and maybe you you see them and you're like, I don't even know what to do with that. And they come through the door because God brought them through the door. But whoever it is, I would love, love for church to be every Sunday. Who's going to be there today? Who is God calling today? Who is answering the call today? today because it can be anybody he says it's not my will that any any should perish but that all should come to repentance any and all are both non-exclusive terms nothing no filters there He's not filtering it. He says, any and all. And that is my prayer as your pastor, as a pastor in this community, is that we get to the point where where anybody and everybody from every walk of life, in every background, and every culture, in every society, comes and comes through that door to where we're surprised. We're surprised when we see their faces. We're surprised when Estelle and Dave are standing back there at the window and like, whose car is that? It's not me as DC comes five minutes later, but whose car is that? Okay, I've given you a benefit of a doubt, but that's alright. I like surprises. Some people don't. I like surprises. So I pray that Did you hear these words? Did you hear this sermon? Did you take it in and consume the word of God that God has given us? The bread of life is what He he shared with us. That that, that we become more mindful of the filters that maybe we're we're throwing up. That we be more mindful of the ones that we exclude sharing the gift of salvation with. And we understand and realize that Jesus wouldn't exclude them. Jesus wouldn't leave them out. Jesus wouldn't ignore them or overlook them. He would introduce himself and say, Here's this gift. Here's this great thing. And they're being called. They're being called. We can't control if they answer. But we know that some are willing to answer. That's what he means by the harvest that there's some and many that are willing to answer. But there's not a lot of asking. Not a lot of asking. So I pray that we seek to to do that more effectively. That we seek to, to go and, and serve while we can, to love while we can, to, to to invite while we can, to encourage while we can, to to be the hands and feet of Jesus while we can. Uh, so that all would know him. That all would know him. Because all includes your family. And all includes your loved ones. And all includes your neighbors. And the ones you grew up with. And the ones you went to school with. And the ones you work with. All includes the ones you like. Includes the ones you don't like. Might not like too. But it includes all. And it's my desire. That all. Would come to know Jesus. And that all of us. Would play a part in that. Man, I want to stand? Um...